Today on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll presents the final study in his comprehensive 20-part study on the life of Christ. It's called Jesus, the Greatest Life of All. And Chuck's chosen to describe the next event in God's timeline for the future, the second coming of Jesus Christ. What does the Bible tell us about his appearance? We're picking up now where we finished on our previous program. Teaching from 1 Corinthians 15, Chuck titled his message, Watching for Jesus in the Air. When the perishable will have put on the imperishable, when the mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I love that. Swallowed up. It's all gone. You and I in the Lord's presence will never, ever have to fear the invasion of death. Death is swallowed up. The sting is gone. The jaws are locked open. And we'll forever be with him. Now, that kind of teaching and preaching makes us hungry for more. So, since you insisted, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 13, and we'll just pick up where we left off. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Let me give you a little outline to kind of give you hooks to hang your thoughts on. 13 and 14 of chapter 4 have to do with death and life afterwards. 15 through 17 have to do with Christ's coming and others joining one another. And 18 has to do with comfort. So first, death and life afterwards. If you're a prophecy freak, if you will, if you're the kind of person that finds himself or herself really excited about prophecy, this is the passage you want to camp on as a Christian. This is the one. Verse 13, some people are thinking, oh, we ought to just, you know, ignorance is bliss. Don't worry about that. You'll get weird. This says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance leads to superstition, fear, sleepless nights, imaginations that run wild. If you want to know what ignorance will do, it will bring people to grave sites as they attempt to connect with their departed loved ones. It'll turn straight-thinking people into strange-thinking people. You will never again visit a grave site to connect with the dead once you understand 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. This is to inform you ignorance isn't bliss, certainly not about the future. We do not want you to be uninformed brethren. Notice again, brethren, every time you read that, remember, this is to the Christian, brothers and sisters, members of the family. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. There's our word again. So the next time you hear that someone died, don't shrug your shoulders and say, well, I don't know what's happened. You know what's happened. There's been a separation. You know what's happened. The soul and spirit have been taken to be with the Lord if the person was a Christian, and the body remains to be taken care of for burial. You know what's happened. 
concerning those who are asleep. And because you know what's happened, you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. See how the verse ends? I tell you this so that you may not grieve as the hopeless. Don't misread the statement. I've heard believers chide others for grieving. No, it doesn't say we don't grieve. It says we don't grieve as the hopeless. Got it? I think it's unusual when we, someone loses a loved one and doesn't weep, doesn't grieve. I don't think you fully get over grief until you express it completely. And I think it's regrettable that Christians cut people short of their complete grief. I know a woman who grieved for three years the death of her husband. There's nothing wrong with that. She wasn't hopeless. She was just horribly lonely and had to come to terms with a premature death, premature in, in their plans. It was, it was a difficult thing. But it says we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Regardless of age, it may be a child age four, a teen age 14, a mother aged 54, a grandmother 84. Doesn't matter about age or sex. Doesn't matter of geography. This is death as it visits a home and a life. And when there is knowledge that Jesus Christ died for sin and rose from the dead, and that person has connected with that, that by faith, that person's ready to die, ready for eternity. See how he puts it? Verse 14, because, this is the reason we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. There's our word again. Those who have died in Jesus. It's Paul's way of saying those who have died as Christians. Are you tracking me on this? It's a very, very simple plan. You live on this earth, you hear the gospel, you respond positively to the gospel, the Lord Jesus secures your eternity. It's that simple, and it's that confident. You have that assurance. This we say to you by the word of the Lord. You know what I believe? I believe he got this directly from the Lord. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he was caught up in the third heavens, and he received special revelation during the time of the writing of the scriptures. And I believe part of the information he got from the Lord had to do with this mystery, this remarkable uh, set of information or, or body of information. I think in that, in that ex, uh, state of receiving revelation, the apostle was given this from the Lord. He got it as a word from God. The Lord himself gave it to him. This is no preacher's meanderings. This is no imaginary hope. This is truth from God, recorded in his inerrant word. This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain, meaning remain on this earth until the coming of the Lord, now watch closely, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. What does it mean? Well, when Christ returns in the air for his people, for his bride, his beloved church, some will be alive, some will have died. More will have died. Multiple millions, millions will have died, and they're in the grave, or they're in the sea, 
or their bodies have been disintegrated by an explosion from a bomb or in war or whatever condition. No problem with God. He made us out of nothing. He can bring us back from nothing. So we who are alive will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And when he writes that, he realizes we need an order of events here. And Paul, in his grand logic, gives us the order. Look at 16 and 17. Here's the order. First, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. You're going to see three audible signals coming from heaven. A shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. I have a trumpet player friend in Bill Bryan, our chaplain at the seminary, who takes great delight in announcing that is the chosen instrument from God, the trumpet of God. I played the clarinet, and he says, notice it does not say the clarinet or the saxophone of God. It's the trumpet of God. Now, will the shout, will the voice, will the trumpet call be heard around the world? I don't know. It doesn't say so here. Now, some teach that. And that's fine. Makes great preaching. You just don't have a lot of biblical support for it. Uh, I think it'll be loud. Angels don't mumble. And when they uh, uh, speak with a voice or the shout and the Lord blows his trumpet, whatever, however way that's going to be, I think it will be heard by a vast number. And uh, the dead will rise first. So here we are. The Lord descends in the air with the sound, the voice, the trumpet, and the dead are raised first. I don't think the graves will all be opened. You don't have to open a grave to get a body out that's in glorified state. They didn't remove the stone to let Jesus out. They removed the stone to let the witnesses in. A resurrection body moves through space, matter, and time in a atomos, split second. So I think the bodies will be remarkably, miraculously brought out of the grave in a glorified state. Corinthians says it will be imperishable, right? It'll be immortal. So they'll come out of the grave. They're first. And then we who are alive, we're second in the group. We who remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Don't tell me it's going to be on the earth. It says in the clouds. It says in the air. That's where he's planned it. So there will be this grand reunion in the air. (laughs) I'm trying to keep from laughing out loud at this wonderful thought of all the saints caught up. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Magnificent think of that. You'll see those saints you've read about and studied about. You'll see the martyrs who gave their lives for the faith of the gospel. You'll you'll see the, 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 the wonderful people from our own generation and from generations past and your grandparents whom you may have never known who prayed for your salvation and your mother, your dad, whoever is in your background that had a hand in where you are today. You'll see them. That'd be great. In a timeless, 
imperishable state and we'll be together forever. Isn't that great? Oh, I love it. Man. Therefore, comfort one another. Well, of course. You think those grieving families haven't been comforted with that thought. They'll be caught up and they'll see their 16-year-old or their 17-year-old or their 14-year-old in the clouds, in the air, taken up. Now, what happens on this earth is another story, and that's for another time, another place. You see, with the departure of the believers in the church, there will be the departure of the restraining of evil on the part of the Holy Spirit, and all hell will break loose on this earth called a time of tribulation and even great tribulation that builds to such a crescendo that it will require the battle of Armageddon, the return of Christ to the earth as he fulfills his promises to Israel and the establishment of his kingdom for a thousand years as we rule and reign with him because we've been with him. We return with him. He wins the battle. We rule over sections of this world during the millennium. Is that great news or what? I get Newport Beach. No, that's another subject. It's just a joke. Come on, you guys. It's just a little fun with you there for a moment. I would rather have Hawaii and tell you the truth. That'd be a whole lot better. Look, look at Titus, okay? First, second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy. Titus. Go to Titus. Always glad I went to vacation Bible school. That's where you learn to memorize the Bible, books of the Bible, and it comes in handy. Titus. Some of you haven't even turned. You're saying, honey, why don't you turn? I'm tired of listening to this guy. Turn to Titus chapter 2. You're not going to get the whole story if you don't see it with your own eyes. Okay? 2.11. Titus. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. All men and women, all humanity, the grace of God is bringing salvation to you today in this message. Jesus Christ died for you, rose from the dead for you, has gone back to the Father. The Father is satisfied that his death paid the penalty for your sins. This is your moment to receive it. If you have not received him, do that now. This is your moment to come to Christ. What a marvelous opportunity to, to uh, um, invest in the grace of God. It's appeared to all, and you've heard it now. Have you done that? Only you know that. Well, we can't tell when we bury you if you've done that. You, you have to do that on your own. You can't do it because your mother did it, or your, your, your husband has come to faith, or your wife. Or it, it's, it's an independent decision on your part. This is what drives me in life, is to passionately offer this message of grace to the whole world. This is my moment to tell you it's available. Second, he says, instructing us, that's the grace of God, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. So between now and when Christ comes for us, we are to continue resisting living a corrupt lifestyle. Are you resisting that? I mean, you don't want to be caught in a compromising situation, do you? 
Oh, you'll be taken up. Yeah, you're secure, but you'll lose rewards for spending your life like that. That's a dumb way to spend your life. Why would the redeemed want to live like the unredeemed? Grace says, deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Say no to the enemy's attacks and temptations. That's, that's the way to live. Now, here's a third. Verse 12 concludes to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age. Are you living your life in a sensible, godly manner? I can't tell by looking you look like you are, but are you? I mean, are you doing that? Now, don't go crazy with this teaching. Some hear this and, oh, they climb up on a rooftop and get on a white gown and quit their jobs. And I've always wondered why they put on a white gown. What good is that? You don't need a white gown. Just wear your own clothes if you want to get up there. That's dumb, getting up on a rooftop. Why do you have to get up on a rooftop? The dead are going to come out, and then you're going to follow. It doesn't help to be on the 106th floor of some office building. I've had people say, well, we're closer to heaven. You, Hey, that baby will fall in an earthquake, trust me. So wherever you are will work. Don't feel like you have to climb up somewhere. That's not sensible. Live a sensible life. That means if you've got a job, work it. Okay? You got a family, take care of them. You got little kids, hey, spend time with them. You got teenagers, pray for grace. <laughs> you got responsibilities, carry them out. That's a sensible lifestyle. Now watch, look at the next verse. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Any day, any moment, you may be asleep. Believe me, you'll wake up. You may be awake. You may be working. You may be worshiping. You may be dying. You may be in the midst of some laborious struggle, some emotional battle, some, some physical disease. At any moment, he could come. Isn't that exciting? think every morning you wake up today Lord today and everything will change in the ecstasy of his presence we'll spend forever with him isn't that great we'll all be glorified so we'll all get along with each other that's a great thought too your old nature will drop off and we'll see the real spiritual you, and we'll spend it with him. I read a wonderful story of three men who loved to fish and hunt together. They happened to be in northern India during this particular hunt. What two of the three men didn't know is that the oldest of the three had come to Christ several months earlier, and he had never told them yet. He had begun to grow in the scriptures and get a little teaching about the future and discovered about death and destiny, as you have heard today. And he was anxious for the moment to tell them, and, and it came this morning, early, before, before dawn. They sat around a fire, and one of the fellows said, you know, just sort of spontaneously, well, what was the most exciting moment of your life? And Immediately after the question, one of the younger fellows said, well, I, 
I think it had to be when I was, uh, when I was hunting in Africa, I shot a tiger that was lurching about to pounce. Another one said, uh, it was when I was above the Aleutians in Alaska and there was this grizzly that began to hunt me. It took three shots and he fell finally at my feet. The older gentleman waited till the last and he said, those are all very exciting moments, but mine will come immediately after I die. (laughs) He's right. Nothing on this earth will compare to the ecstasy of seeing him whom to know is life eternal. Isn't that great? It can be your hope or your dread. Let's bow together. Let's sit quietly before the Lord as that rain softly falls reminding us of the scriptures as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and doesn't return without watering the earth and making it bring forth in bud, even so will my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall never return empty, but it shall accomplish why I sent it and the purpose for which it was given. I won't beg you and I won't embarrass you, but I will offer you an opportunity to turn your life over to Christ right now. You've heard enough. I don't need to repeat it. But this is your moment to give your heart to the Savior. You bring nothing of your own works. He's not interested in how religious you have been or promised to be. That doesn't help. You come by faith alone in Christ alone because of the grace offered in the plan of salvation. It's yours for the taking. Our Father, we do give you great praise for that truth that we shall behold him, for we shall see him as he is. And we will be with one another, and what a grand and glorious reunion that will be when the one who paid it all for us brings us unto himself and shares with us a dwelling in the heavenlies. This has a way of putting everything in perspective. It decreases our worries. It causes the things that we thought were significant to sort of fade into the distance. And it brings us face to face with you in all of your glory I pray for those who have not yet come to know the Savior. I pray that you will cause their misery to increase. May their nights be increasingly more sleepless. May they know no relief. May they lose their appetite and their joy of living until you, through your Holy Spirit, brings them to faith in Christ. I pray for those who know the Lord Jesus that you will help us know how to live sensible, responsible lives. Guard us from foolish and fanatical extremes with this information. Help us to be informed without feeling smug. Get us connected with the real world that has lost its way. And open our mouths to speak boldly and courageously 
yet lovingly to those without Christ. May this make a difference in the way we work at our careers, the way we rear our families, the way we plan for our future, the way we spend our money, the way we invest our time. Father, we're yours and we are grateful that you have claimed us as your own. And we look forward to how you're going to use this message in the future, even in our own lives. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And everybody said, Amen. With his closing prayer, Chuck Swindoll concludes his comprehensive 20-part study on the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It's called Jesus, the Greatest Life of All. To learn more about the 20 messages in this classic collection, visit us online at insightworld.org. Let me give you a peek at what's ahead on Insight for Living, because there's been a lot of anticipation for this study. It's called Revelation, Unveiling the End. Most people think of John's Apocalypse as a book about Bible prophecy, and in many respects that's true. But at the core, the book of Revelation is about King Jesus and His magnificent glory. In this regard, it makes perfect sense to move from a biography on Jesus to a study in the last book of the Bible. To get ready for this fascinating series and follow along with the messages ahead, remember that Insight for Living provides online study notes for you. We call this feature Searching the Scriptures. We've already posted the study notes for Chuck's teaching in Revelation, and you can access this tool right now by going to insightworld.org slash studies. In closing, I want to express our gratitude to all those who give generously to Insight for Living, especially our monthly companions. Your faithful, consistent gifts make it possible for us to provide Chuck's teaching every day. You can give a gift right now by calling 800-772-8888 or become a monthly companion today by following the simple instructions online at insight.org slash monthly companion. I'm Bill Meyer, inviting you to join us next time when Chuck Swindoll starts his verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation on Insight for Living. The preceding message Watching for Jesus in the Air was copyrighted in 1999, 2000, and 2008, and the sound recording was copyrighted in 2008 by Charles R. Swindoll, Inc. All rights are reserved worldwide. Duplication of copyrighted material for commercial use is strictly prohibited.